Warning, the following podcast may contain material that is inappropriate for listeners that are under the age of 18, are easily offended, or get annoyed listening to the rantings of holier-than-thou-know-it-alls that are anything but. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Anime World Order podcast. It has been a little while since we've last recorded. So welcome to the greatest anime podcast on the internet, as long as you forget about all of those others. My name is Gerald Rathkolb, and with me, as always, this is Daryl Surratt. And this is Clarissa. The world has changed since we last recorded. We have since come back and survived Atlantic City. Anime Next, thank you so much for having us there. Atlantic City is an interesting place. Whatever your image is of Atlantic City right now in your head, it's probably accurate. Before we get too far, first let's say we are going to be talking about a very recent show that just ended from the latest season as we record this. A show that is exclusively streaming on Amazon Prime, so probably no one can see it. That is Cabernary of the Iron Fortress. However, let's uh, make a dent in some of this email. There is, there is a whole lot here. We've got an email here. This is from Rana. They say, Hi, AWO crew. I've only been listening to your show for about a year, but it has quickly become my favorite podcast. I love the rapport you three have with each other, as well as your entertaining insights into the world of anime and manga. I have two questions for you. One pretty direct, and the other a bit more vague. My first question is this. I heard Daryl mention the J-drama Aoi Hono in an older episode and decided to check it out. I was pleasantly surprised to find how much I enjoyed it, as well as how much it piqued my interest in older anime and manga. Not that you guys hadn't done so already. I was wondering if there are any other shows, books, or media in general that y'all know that can give a fan's perspective of an otaku world of yesteryear, as it were. I can actually answer that right away. If you're interested in that time period, there's actually a book that we actually reviewed on this podcast called the Nontenki Memoirs. It you is probably long in there. Print. It's Nontenki Memoirs, but it's, it's hella yeah. out of print. But there is a website version of it that I think yes. is a little more up to date than the book. I think maybe they sort of appended some chapters or what have you. I don't remember the differences between what's online versus that really out of print, hard to find book. That basically that time period from the perspective of kind of one of the Grunt guys that was working there. All right. So this person saw Ali Hono, Blue Blazes, and so they should actually be able to identify exactly who the author of the book is. So when they went to do the sci-fi con, they went to talk to a guy and he had like this silly cowboy hat on. That's the guy who wrote the book or dramatized version thereof. It's a pretty good read if you are interested in that period of time. Other than that... I think the easy, obvious one just got delivered to us courtesy of Anime oh, yes. Kickstarter, because I've got it right here. It's Otaku no Video, which is also a history, as it were, of Gainax, the same people who are the subject of Alihono Blue Blazes, only maybe a little more fanciful even than <laughs> Blue Blazes. Let's just put yeah, it that way. I, it, it, they don't conquer the world necessarily. They you know, come close, perhaps. But that's really great. There's also a lot of great interviews in there, which are only uh, slightly uh, exaggerated. 
I understand. Right. It basically, so. if you can go back and listen to our review of Otaku No Video. If you go to uh, the website, AnimeWorldOrder.com, there's a review index for all the previous episodes. And I know you said you were listening to us, but this we would have been reviewing like probably a decade ago and change. It's an early, mm-hmm. earlier episode that we did where we talked about that. It's weird. Like We've given three examples, and all of them are about the same time period and the same events. I'm not sure if if there's other like anime or manga that I can think of that cover like other events. I would recommend again. This is probably very hard to find, but our good friend Tim Eldred put out a documentary about the creation of Space Battleship Yamato called Space Battleship Yamato: The Making of an Anime Legend. Oh, good! And you can buy it on Amazon for like 18 bucks. That actually talks, you know, all about a lot earlier actually time period. So if you are interested, that is still around. I'm amazed. Anyway, uh, Rana goes on to ask, As for my second question, I was recently listening to a 2011 convention review episode in which you mentioned an Anagamers panel about being an active fan. Although I've considered myself hardcore for at least 10 years or so, I'm in my early 20s, I've recently noticed that I'm pretty passive when it comes to my fandom. I don't particularly enjoy writing, I've never really been the fan art type, and I'm wondering what I can do to produce and not just consume. I realize this is probably difficult to answer given that you don't know me personally, but I welcome any words of wisdom. Sorry, this is kind of long. Keep up the good work, Rana. So this is a reference to a panel that Evan, who now works for Crunchyroll in the interim between when that podcast came out and now, did a panel called The Art of Active Viewing. Usually get different people to talk about this, but more or less the general gist of it, uh, I'm sort of going to butcher it because it's been so long, was that instead of just watching things and not really thinking about it, that you would consider why you like what you like and why you don't like what you don't. And mm-hmm. one way of expressing that was through creating works such as reviews or blog posts or drawing or what have you. But it's not certainly the uh, be-all, end-all of it. It's really more an idea of being more aware of what aspects or elements tie into why you find works of entertainment enjoyable or not and so i think in doing that you end up looking more carefully at what you're watching and thinking about like oh, okay why do i hate this character or what's cool about this animation or why do i think this uh, music is better than that music and so on and so forth that's more the baseline sort of idea of what he's talking about because a lot of times even to this day you know our messages fall on deaf ears because uh, in the grand scheme of culture, other things that are far more powerful than us will override us. Most people just watch stuff, aren't very good, even if, and you can look at you know, message boards and the like to find out that this is true. They aren't very good at elaborating or detailing why they enjoy the things they do. They know that they like them, and they know that they dislike other things, but sometimes when you press people for why, there's a bit of a, a logical inconsistency because they haven't really thought them through. I would take that one step further and say that one of the things I always like to push on the show is kind of understanding where the thing that you like came from. I'm not expecting, you know, anybody to do like deep research of or anything, but it is um, astonishing when you talk to, say, a Naruto fan and you might ask them the most basic thing, like, who is the author of Naruto? You need to update your example now that Naruto ended a long time ago. uh, Fairy tale or One Punch Man. And, you know, big fans of One Punch Man and they'll say and, you know, ask who's the creator of One Punch Man. And a lot of people have no clue. You know, maybe who directed this? No clue either. And it helps greatly 
leading to other things you might like if you can just fill in a couple of those details. Uh, and it's not difficult either, because there are resources for this. And uh, it's not like it used to be where finding out the creators of this was kind of impossible, or especially anything else they did. But I wonder if they were considering more active in terms of, like, producing things. Because they mentioned, you know, fan art, and they mentioned uh, that we do podcasts, and uh, they mentioned writing. Well, it certainly costs nothing but time to do any of that sort of stuff. I don't think there's right. a barrier to right. posting on social media. <laughs> I don't think there's anything that you have to do nowadays if you want to get the word out. Everyone kind of at this point can even make videos and put them online. You've got phones, you've right. got built-in cameras in your mobile devices and the like. So I think from a technological standpoint, there's not really an impediment there. It's really just a, do I feel like doing this at all? Yeah. I mean, yeah, starting up a blog online with just about your thoughts on a particular anime is can be done in, what, five minutes now? And so, and you're done? <laughs> it's certainly not like creating a fanzine like 20 years ago, which was uh, enormous effort. And I don't know how any of those people did it. I look at some of these things and I just think this must have been amazingly painful to put together and completely thankless as well. Yeah. There is absolutely nothing wrong with just enjoying what you enjoy, Rana. If you take that little extra effort to just finding out a little bit more about it, then I think that your enjoyment of anime can be greatly increased. I suppose she's already listening to this show, which is more than can be said for most. Well, yeah, most anime fans do not listen to our show. That is my, <laughs> that is my guess. <laughs> we would That's why we world. don't make any money. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. So anyway, I think got through that email fairly quickly, so I will just read the other one that you had in mind here. This one is from the definitely real email address <laughs> that I probably shouldn't read, uh, but it is a, a good email address. There's no subject, but I'll just read the question. It says, hi, guys. My name is Elizabeth, and I'm 18. I've been listening to the podcast for the past year or so, and I found it by just typing anime into the iPhone podcast app search. Thanks to you guys, I've learned about a lot of great anime, including Lupin Third, Captain Harlock, and Akira. My question to you guys is... What do you think about Interstellar 5555? I'm not a particularly big fan of Daft Punk's music, but Lazy Matsumoto's art was enough to keep me watching. So one thing I wanted to just bring up was that I'm not actually sure if this person follows me on Twitter at D-A-R-Y-L-S-U-R-A-T because I had roughly around the time this email was written been talking about Interstellar and specifically Matsumoto and the like and so Gerald and so I don't know if this was a leading question or not but if it's not a leading yeah. question it's just serendipitous to get us started in talking about this it's a big misconception how much Leiji Matsumoto actually worked on Interstellar 5555, the story of the secret star system, uh, which was from about 15 years ago at this point, a little over an hour sort of animated accompaniment to Daft Punk's album Discovery, which is sort of like one that made him famous kind of thing. Everyone sort of assumes like, oh yeah, Matsumoto did that. And that was great. I love that thing. But Leiji Matsumoto did not write Interstellar 5555. He did not direct Interstellar 5555. He didn't storyboard it. In fact... He didn't even do the character yeah, designs. Yeah, he didn't even do the character designs as you see in the animation for Interstellar right. 5555. He basically had little to nothing to do with it, although the original sketches for you know the band were something that he'd illustrated once, but he didn't have any input on this they kind of just said hey can we make this and he's like sure you guys go ahead 
Right. Effectively, how it worked was Daft Punk grew up in the 70s in France and watched a lot of anime that came from Leiji Matsumoto work. And so they wanted to create something that reminded them of their childhood. Apparently, they met or talked to Leiji Matsumoto. And he I guess he liked the idea, but completely like washed his hands of any actual work of it. Yeah, it's a little misleading because it first starts with snippets of a short little interview with Matsumoto and people are like, "Okay, wow, he, he did this. But no, when you look at who actually made it, it's basically a lot of the people who made Dragon Ball Z. Daisuke Nishio yes. and Kazuhisa Takenochi are key people who like work on a ton of Dragon Ball Z and Pretty Cure and all that kind of stuff. And they're the people who actually made Daft Punk because, I mean, Interstellar 5555 with Daft <laughs> Punk. They made Daft Punk in the sense that Daft Punk has a cameo in their own cartoon. Right. By the way, just to answer their question directly, I love Interstellar 5555. I think it is terrific. I'm not the biggest fan of Daft Punk's work, but I love that particular work, and I think it's beautiful and, and inventive. Yeah, it got a lot of visibility because it came out in 2001 in the heyday of Cartoon Network and Toonami and all that kind of stuff, and they aired like the first four parts of it on yes. Cartoon Network, and then the rest of it you had to go out and get uh, the disc for. It's too bad that the Blu-ray sucks. I was just going to say, like my understanding is that the Blu-ray is a terrible <laughs> release, like looks really bad. I still have my DVD sitting around here, and maybe the Blu-ray can... Maybe some other country will put it out and make it look better. But uh, the reason why this came up, Gerald, was that you were talking about Matsumoto specifically. This was something that I've been sort of running around in my head for a while. I know that uh, we go to a lot of anime conventions, and we tend to like to sort of talk to kind of the older crowd of anime, those people who are older than us. So we're talking to people in our late 30s at, at minimum, going into their 40s and sometimes their 50s. And for that generation, every generation has got sort of different anime that's sort of seminal to them. For that older generation, a lot of work that got them to be anime fans are works like Captain Harlock, um, Space Battleship Yamato, and Galaxy Express, and maybe a, and also, you know, Queen Millennia. These are all sort of thrown into this sort of thing called, you know, the, the Matsumoto-verse. I don't think that's an official thing, but that's just sort of an American dubbed term of it. And then I began thinking about this, and I thought, Leiji Matsumoto is this enormous figure in anime. He appears at events still, he, he goes all over the place, but he is almost entirely irrelevant to virtually anybody under the age of about 35 or 40. Right, well, I mean, what's he doing? And that's, that's the thing, is that he hasn't done anything of note in probably over 30 years, he is less relevant than Osamu Tezuka is, and Osamu Tezuka has been dead <laughs> for 27 years. It's one of those things. Yeah. Like so, when you say, oh, I mean, no. I think that's not uncommon, right? Like, I think a lot of artists, you know, they have a, a short period of popularity, and some of them don't go on to do a lot of other stuff. Some of them do other stuff, but it just doesn't really catch on. I mean, look at Shiro, right? Like. You know, Shiro was so influential with Ghost in the Shell and, and all of that. But I mean, what's he doing except for like weird pervy art books? The now? thing is, his work still has some resonance. He's not where he was in the late 90s necessarily. But people are still reading his work now, even yes. like that, those older works and liking them. In fact, you know, right. all the hullabaloo about they're finally making Ghost in the Shell into a movie it appears to actually be real and filming. But Matsumoto mm -hmm. is a case where, you know, the definition of note, as Gerald mentioned, is a little different from, I think, what a lot of people may be typically assigning to of note, because what he really means is the last thing that was any good for Matsumoto was 30 years yes. ago. <laughs> He's still making stuff. Right, it's just right. all shit. 
Well, but that's what I mean is like Shiro's not actively really doing stuff that anyone cares about anymore, right? It's all like legacy, legacy of the same works that he did. Well, the difference is that Shiro's stuff is still in print and Matsumoto's isn't, by and large. Right. I mean, the only Matsumoto stuff that really got released here... I believe that they released some issues of Galaxy Express 399. It wasn't even the, the original Galaxy well, Express. Captain Harlock's streaming. We're isn't talking it? about like his manga. Um, oh, manga. Okay. Yeah, that's the things that he most directly worked on. Right. Because when I, because uh, a lot of the manga, a lot of the anime adaptations, when you compare it with his original work, are are quite a bit different. Mm-hmm. We can't even give him credit for Space Battleship Yamato. Because right. uh, I was about to say, as... do you think it would be different if 2199 came out here in an accessible format? But I guess if you're not counting that... Well, it's one of those things where he didn't actually do any work on 2199. <laughs> right, right. They kind of Ill- deliberately said, we probably don't want Leiji Matsumoto <laughs> here because we actually want 2199 to yeah. be good. And uh-huh. so... Yeah, Leiji Matsumoto right. got the opportunity to do Yamato on his own, like his own things. And I believe there were Great Yamato and Dai right. Yamato. I think Dai Yamato would be Great Yamato, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Leiji Matsumoto's strengths are really in his visual design and maybe in his concepts, right? And so I think that's why that's the case, is that he has these concepts and these visuals that are really neat, but then other people do a better job with them. I guess it's kind of like almost the George Lucas exactly. effect. I mean, when you think about- like Star Wars is better mm-hmm. when people other than George Lucas are writing and directing it. Uh, yeah, it's, it. Incidentally, it's a little weird because the people other than Lucas who do it, they just take Lucas's old ideas and apply them and it works. In the case of Matsumoto, think about this. You mentioned the Matsumoto verse is like an informal term. That the idea being that yes. these things were all supposed to tie together. In Matsumoto's head, sure, theoretically. they were theoretically supposed to all tie together, but he was so bad with keeping things detailed and consistent <laughs> that there's yes. no possible way that these things all share the same timeline with one another because he can't keep basic little things straight about like this happening. Is it no. can't or just doesn't care? It's one or the other because I think like you can't have it both ways, right? You can't say, oh yeah, all these things share a common universe and setting except I can't decide basic facts about these characters from one appearance to the next. Therefore, right. like when were they born? Like what is their job? Where did they come from? Basic things like are, no, are never like fully established. If he wants to claim that this is all a consistent universe. Right. And it's also tough going back to some of his work it's not oftentimes like, say, Osamu Tezuka, where you can go back to most of his work, not necessarily all of it, but most of it, and a lot of it holds up very well. It's strange to think that the last thing he wrote came out in 1989. Everything we're reading is going back to 80s and 70s. It's amazing how much of it still holds up. If we go back to some of Matsumoto's work, the cockpit, for example, there's a sort of weird tinge of imperialism to it. You think? That oh, well, you think so. today. A little bit. Just a bit. Just a a little bit. It's this thing that I think we look at today and are a little bit more uncomfortable with. Mm -hmm. The cockpit is a good example of we're really making this Nazi pilot out to be such a hero. Like, okay, I I understand. Like, this is a little bit strange. We're making out this kamikaze pilot, you know, again, is such a hero. You you get the slight hint that maybe Matsumoto had some issues with America and some issues with women. Just a tint. Just a little bit. (laughs) Yes. Right. Well, I mean, I certainly can't blame them for them for the America thing, given the occupation. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely that sense of it feels kind of like the same thing you see here in the South about how like in the South that can't let go of the Civil War. 
And oh yeah, like, they're terrible. You know, they're they're ter- they're terrible, awful it's people. Like, and so, come on, guys, we lost. But <laughs> if, if we're com- if if we're comparing those people to 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 Matsumoto, we're not putting Matsumoto on you know a high pedestal. Oh, right, right, no. And and, and and remember, Tezuka lived through those same times. Yeah, yeah. And his older work doesn't feel that strange. Sure, I mean, very different politically. Right, but but, but I, I'm I'm trying to yeah I'm yeah. trying to think of like a contemporary at least. I haven't seen The Wind Rises. But I remember, like, people were talking about some of that, too, with Miyazaki. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I think in the case of Matsumoto, I don't deny that he's a talented guy. But he's a guy who, like Clarissa said, is somebody who could work collaboratively with others to get something. Every time he tried to recapture the lightning in a bottle on his own, something critical would be missing. And those would typically be the things that other people would sort of step in and fill in for him. And that's why the great works of Leiji Matsumoto are all like these collaborations with people like Rintaro, people like Yoshinobu Nishizaki, and so on and Mm -hmm. so forth. People who could take his iconography and imagery and his flair for the dramatic and actually make something compelling out of it. On that note, I actually... In the time between episodes, I uh, had a couple of things I wrote go up at the Anime News Network. Uh, one was a guide for classic anime that you can watch streaming. Because when we were at Anime Next, as Gerald mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I did a panel on great theatrical anime films. Harlock came up and, you know, the like. One thing that became very obvious to me was that no matter how accessible the movie was licensed or otherwise, that it didn't matter if it was in print on Blu-ray for years or out of print or whatever. The only thing that determined whether or not people had seen something was, is it streaming? Because it's a little just too much of a pain, a hassle for people to get physical media. And that's unfortunate because a lot of great theatrical anime films have only been released here on physical media. And so I wrote up a piece. It's on the Anime News Network. I got some flack from people for being like, you didn't think that whatever was uh, a great classic thing that you can watch? And I'm like, no, it's just the thing that was on that you happened to watch when you were a kid. But <laughs> Captain Harlock, the uh, Rintaro TV series, is on there, as are the entirety of Galaxy Express 39 TV, though I personally recommend the films by Rintaro, uh-huh. just because that TV show is like, a billion episodes long and doesn't look nearly right. as cool. And is incredibly preachy at times. And it's the same thing well, over and over Well, that's the Matsumoto get to, effect, right? You know, that's just how, how he operates. Yes, it's right. It's every episode is just you get to a planet, then he loses his ticket. And then well, isn't that the kind of core concept about 3-9 anyway? It's all about robots No, the core concept is my waifu is this lady I saw in this movie. <laughs> and I'm going to make everyone know about my waifu. <laughs> that is what Galaxy Express 3.9 is truly about. And also uh, Robot Body, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, you know, not yeah, yeah. Real, whatever. But that is a thing that, you know, you can go and check out where uh, I didn't so much say in as many words that I feel like Matsumoto's time was during that era, you know, over 30 plus years ago when he was working with people. And now he's burned every bridge with everyone who kind of helped make him great such that now he's just still around he's still a legend undeniably so i'm highly envious of all the people who you know years ago before 2199 came out in japan got to sit down and meet with him tim and walter and you know so on and so forth yeah but 
if Matsumoto's like, look forward to my new creation, I'll be like, uh, um, <laughs> right, right. I almost have to look at him like, I don't know, almost like Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks is a fantastic, talented guy. But what was the last thing that Mel Brooks made that we can all collectively say was great? Um, yeah, got to start going back for a long right. ass time. And then you start getting into arguments about like the plays that he made. And, you know, is Spaceballs mm-hmm. actually right. still funny? And et cetera. Well, yeah, et cetera. That's why I said, like, I don't think that's really an uncommon thing at all. I mean, I think there's a lot of artists of different types whether it's directors or or writers or comic authors or whatever that they have a certain stretch of time where they produce stuff that's good or popular or innovative or whatever and they kind of either don't do anything else or they do stuff that just doesn't really click and i think that's part of the reason why when we have people that do have really long careers it's such like a big thing it's why people always remark on like you know, musicians and stuff that have such long careers, because it's like how many people, you know, have a band and put out a few albums and then that's it. Right. I mean, I understand that. I guess for me, it's a question of relevance. Sure. And I think the deciding factor of relevance is just availability of the work. People just can't, by and large, see Mm -hmm. those great works of the past that Matsumoto even worked on to give him the acclaim that he still deserves today. Because, hey, if I say, hey, go out and check out you know this movie well maybe discotech released you know the three nine films on dvd but if i want to go watch the original yamato Mm -hmm. good luck yeah and i mean if you wanted to watch say uh, i think the last thing of note and again he didn't work directly on this was maybe galaxy railways he was a producer on that he was not a writer not a director not i don't even think it came from any of his original work i think he was just given a producer role of Mm. that and that only i believe half of that was ever released right it wasn't successful at all here in the u.s we only got the first season the second season came out in japan i think it even got partially fan subbed if not fan subbed entirely Mm. and uh just never came out here but that's a very underrated show um yeah i never got around to watching that one but i heard good things it was it was pretty good i liked it but i mean even if we look at you know yeah how do you watch galaxy express like nobody wants to buy that show because it is what, 200 episodes or something or 100 episodes? Yeah, it's it's streaming and- entirely, the TV show. The movies, which I recommend, are physical media only in discotheque. Yeah. And it's DVD only for now. They haven't uh, announced a Blu-ray of those. Arcadia of My Youth or My Youth in Arcadia is uh, out of print, but it was available for a long time from Anime Ego. I feel like at the rate at which stuff is getting licensed rescued, I, I feel like it's just it's too, that one's too big that it can't be out of print forever. Like yeah. I feel like within the next couple of years, I'm, that's someone's got to bring that one back. Yeah, I'm hoping that point. a lot of those movies will start getting put out on Blu-ray now. And then, of course, there's Yamato. That's its own problem from Japan as far as yes. the availability well, for yeah. that is concerned. I mean, that's kind of like the whole yes. Macross situation. Like, there's weird licensing nonsense. And, I mean, who even owns, who even owns, like, I mean, Star Blazers, Yamato. Like, isn't there, like, a weird thing with the licensing on that, no. too? No? no, I think it's it's a case of there's no question of the person who owns it. It's more like the people who own it are lazy. So it's a little closer to <laughs> yes. like how Harmony Gold, we know they got Macross. They mm. just don't want to do anything yeah. with it. So like, nope. Or, or it'll just make their, their own work look so bad. Right. Right. So. Like Voyager Entertainment, we know they've got it. They just are too lazy to do anything with it. Well, I just wasn't sure right. like if they own like the rights with Star Blazers, does that necessarily mean that nobody else can release Yamato? 
you know. No, they've got it all. It's okay. just um, yeah. cuz it's again now that's like the Japanese kind of mm-hmm. have them, but they're just like, "Eh, if you want it, you can buy this $100 Blu-ray right. set and import it from Japan." Right. <laughs> right. And ridiculous things. Yeah, yeah that's it's a, such a shame that uh, 2199 didn't get like a television release here or something. Or like that stream. Yeah. Yeah, nothing. You'd think that they would want people to see that, but I guess that is not how they're thinking. They they want to like make this like some sort of special thing that you they have to go like out of your way and get. To import the discs at full price at the Japanese prices. And for them they'll put the English subtitles on the disc and everyone else will steal that disc and rip it and right. they'll be like, okay, this works. This is fine. And as we have demonstrated, even today in conversations today, as we speak, it was demonstrated clearly that if it is not streaming, it is too much trouble. Like it, it has to be some unbelievable thing for you to bother to go out of your way to do anything beyond streaming it. And it's unfortunate because the TV broadcast of 2199 is huge ratings in Japan. But barely anyone here knows about it. And 2202 right. is going to start, you know, shortly, which is the second season. Yeah. Barely anybody here is going right. to know about it. And it's going to continue that way because the company that's releasing it just has no clue how to do it. And we said this in the past. The people who know have told them. They have said to them, this is the way to do it if you want people to see mm-hmm. it. And they have they basically just said, no, we're doing it the right way. Yeah. So... There is, they know what what should be done, and so they're just ignoring it. Uh, interesting that this person would write in to ask about Leiji Matsumoto. At yeah, that just time. when we were talking about it. So, but yeah, if you want to send in emails to us, the email address is what it is animeworldorder at gmail.com and do check out the website at www.animeworldorder.com or you know leave a comment on there. We read all of them, so uh, please do that and. Uh, Unless anybody else has anything else to say. Or at us on Twitter. Uh, oh, yeah. At Anime oh. World Order. Oh, and at Anime World Order is our Twitter, yes. Uh, I do just want to mention that also in the interim between the uh, last podcast and this one, I was a guest on Paul Chapman's podcast, GME Anime Fun Time, where we talked about Giant Robo, the animation, The Day the Earth Stood Still. I last reviewed that 10 years ago on this podcast. Our podcast was like a no spoilers version, and his was like, let's spoil the whole thing. Do check that out if you've already seen Giant Robo. If you have not seen Giant Robo, right now the only way you can is to pirate it, because uh, even though... Oh, the disc is out of print? Well, the Blu-rays came out in Japan, but Mm. Media Blasters is not like in the best shape. They still exist. I don't know how readily you can get Giant Robo, but you certainly can't get it in high definition, so... Uh, Seeing Giant Robo is a little tricky now to do so legally, but it's out there if you uh, know where to look. Yeah, it is not on uh, Amazon as I do a quick check. Mm -hmm. So if you go to a con where they argue, they might have it on the table. Usually uh, they just have a lot of pornography, and now at this point, they don't even care enough to put the plastic tarp over the porn (laughs) to stop shoplifters. Well, now they've got a new design for their booth where you can go into a back room and look at the porn. Mm. Oh, boy. (laughs) Just making it as skeevy as possible. Not at all creepy. (laughs) But yeah, um, in addition to that, I also, uh, this is a little new for me, I did an interview on the Anime News Network with Unified Pictures, who is the production team in the U.S. who are trying to release and create an American animated Vampire Hunter D television series that they've been working on this. They announced it last year at Anime Expo, and then a year went by and we didn't hear a thing. And so I caught up with them to say, what's going on with it? And then they said, well, they're still doing work, and they just put up a Kickstarter for a comic book 
a vampire hunter D adapting one of Hideyuki Kikuchi's short stories. It's sort of like a prequel to uh, the D light novels and that Kickstarter passed in like less than 48 hours. So I guess they're moving forward with that. Go check that out. Also on Anime News Network. It's interesting to see is that this... Vampire Hunter D is still popular because it's not a thing that I hear people talk about a lot, but there still seems to be that like community there somewhere for it. That when right. stuff well, comes Horse out, has been, they've been translating the, no- the light novels, right. various things like within the last year or so. We did get the Blu-ray re-releases of mm-hmm. the original Vampire Hunter D by Toyo Ashida and then mm-hmm. Vampire Hunter D Bloodlust by Yoshiaki Kawajiri. Right. Well, that's what I mean. Like, clearly this stuff seems to be selling, but it's interesting because you don't hear people talk about it a lot. Right. But, you know, it's clearly like it's moving stuff and people apparently like it. So So are they, are they going to make a TV series that looks as good as Berserk? Oh, God. Well, uh, the thing about Berserk <laughs> is I actually don't dislike the new berserk series but you can very clearly see like this is very much a production in the same sense of those recent berserk theatrical films which i think is sort of that that's really what this season is a continuation of is those films more than the 90s television show in that there's like this hybrid 2d animation with 3d cg and in stills the 3d cg looks pretty bad when you actually watch the show, it like you notice it, but it's not like incredibly jarring. It's a little jarring. But, I, I um, saw I saw some you know clips from it, and it looked pretty awful. But maybe those were just the particularly bad moments. But I I just I really didn't like the look of it. The two D stuff all looks very good in the new Berserk television series, right, which is why saw. I wonder like why didn't they just do the whole thing that way. <laughs> Well, that's yeah. what they asked at Ugh. Anime Expo because they had the premiere of like the first two episodes at Anime Expo. And then everyone's question was, so why would you use this hybrid animation technique on both of the films as well as this TV show? Because everyone in America is like, look how janky this CG is compared to these 2D cuts. And the answer they give is, well, we wanted to utilize the strengths of both. And everyone's uh. response is like, I don't think you're utilizing the strengths of both. <laughs> no. But um, I think the reality is, is just that Berserk's line art is so complex that to animate it and keep it like on model with, you know, that really crazy Kentaro Miura shading is probably too much of a burden on modern Japanese animators that they are like, Ooh. okay, well, if there's an action scene or thing, something with a lot of movement, we're going to 3D CG that, and then you can keep that really complicated shading or what have you. That must be their rationale. I I'm guess. just guessing. Maybe they, they've got a point, but I can tell you when in my next review, they are full of shit. Because holy shit, the, I'll, I'll get to, you know, Cabinary later. That, right, so. that's just right. one of those things where I, I we've been talking about it for a while. We've actually got, like, a listener to the show who says before we go too deep into this, we should actually get him on because he works as an animator for his 3D CG. And he's very much out to show uh, how much of what you say has been bullshit. And so we'll be sure to get him on at some point if we want to really go deep into this topic. But How much I've been saying is bullshit or that guy at, at Anime Expo was saying was bullshit? I, I think probably how much uh, when I say <laughs> us, uh, us. In, in that sense. <laughs> but also the guy at Anime Expo. But okay, mostly us. So uh, the point is, is just that. You notice it when you're watching the show. There are a couple of cuts that don't look very good, and those are what stick with you in your mind. Just like any sort of special effects movie, 
mm. where the there worst may be part thousands is, yeah. of shots and one shot that looks bad. All anyone's going to say is, oh, that movie had the terrible special effects. Right. You know, Guillermo del Toro and Blade 2 on the commentary track is like, oh, God, this looks like such shit. And this is all anybody remembers <laughs> is when we farmed this out to some CG company in Eastern Europe. They gave us back this and there was no time to send it back and say this thing. All anybody remembers oh, no. is these shitty ninja flips. <laughs> That's just the, the rep that, oh, Blade 2 has terrible special effects or, you know. I need to watch that you, commentary. Oh, uh, his yeah. commentary tracks are always awesome. <laughs> uh, they, they are great. Uh, or that uh, the only thing that we know, if you've never seen a single episode of the new Ace Attorney, you just know, like, it looks terrible. Um, but it doesn't look this. that terrible compared to, like, how much the Internet is hyping it up. And, in fact, there are points now where the production is actively sort of screwing with people to, like, deliberately mm-hmm. posting a silly shot and, like, accompany it with goofy music to be like, okay, look, this is supposed to look dumb. But everyone yes. just, like, is in that mode now where they're going to highlight that, that yes. scene and be like, oh, it, my God, I this mean, thing's it, garbage. It did look pretty bad at the very beginning. And what got me was that even the animation in the opening – wasn't good, but right. uh, it has gotten better. Right, and they even fixed the animation in the opening. Yeah. Yeah, there was a funny scene in a recent episode where they were just like doing a ridiculous like crab walk off the stage and it was meant to be like janky right, and silly. Right. And then people were holding it up as like this animation's terrible. Like, no, it's not terrible. This was meant to be silly. Yeah. Anyway, wh- where were we going? Oh yeah, Vampire well, Hunter D. Vampire Hunter D. which is of, the idea is to be much more high quality animation uh, than uh-huh. any of the things that we've uh, been talking about because they specifically sort of without saying the names of these things they just kind of said look it's not going to look really cheap like it's a, a 3D model with like a cell shaded uh. thing on it we're not going to go that route and so we, without saying the names of the particular shows that he was singling out any number of anime 3D CG productions basically a little more like the um use the 3D CG wireframe and then have 2D artwork drawn over it so things stay on model is sort of the look that they're going for, which is kind of like the Gundam Unicorn sort of look and what have you. Uh, Uh, So basically like rotoscoping, just using 3D models instead of people? Yeah, which is what they do for a lot of mecha animation things now when they uh, remember to. But... Yeah, that's one of the things that, you know, the interview is pretty long. Uh, It took me like an hour to do and then even longer to transcribe. So please go to AnimeNewsNetwork.com. You can read that along with my classic anime streaming guide, which I wrote it right as Hulu was taking a whole bunch of stuff off of their streaming Ah. service. But I predicted that. And so pretty much everything that I recommended is still streaming either on Crunchyroll or Hulu or Funimation or the Anime Network, but the nature of streaming is that anything can disappear at any moment. So I don't know when you're going to listen to this. This is why we say, like, there's nothing wrong to have your physical media collection because you can turn around one day and it's just gone. Your yeah, show that you want to watch. Just... How, uh... No, even though it takes up so much space. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's okay. I'm fine with it. <laughs> Is there anything else that you guys had going on that you want to get out there to the people to know about? Not much. We're starting a, we're starting a new season of animes. You know, this season just ended, and uh, this uh, so we. I don't think we have much to say about the new season. A lot of Fujoshi stuff this season. The most I've ever seen in any one season, which is interesting because now we're seeing. If you remember back to the early two thousands when we were getting a glut of just like garbage otaku moe shows. When you see a whole bunch of one type of thing, you kind of then got to get to see some of the where the strengths and weaknesses lie in in other in certain works. Because some of them are good and some of them aren't. Yes, like when it was just like one or two. Usually, the the best works 
were at the floated to the top. Yeah, gosh, remember the early 2000s when we were getting just yeah. like tons of garbage harem stuff? I like, prefer was, not to. Oh. Right. It's just like a little too bland. There's no like yeah. equivalent very... of like the absolute, we're not even giving a shit. This is about like, let's get some package or whatever. <laughs> Or however, I'm, I'm waiting for the I'm waiting for the Manu Hikensho of Fujoshi shows where right, it's just, just guys with giant yeah just giant giant, giant dicks yeah that's giant for guys no. that's all for over guys. the place yeah no that that would be a gay dude series right <laughs> it's only it's, the only people I know who are into like the super gigantic doms are are gay dudes not really <laughs> but I think we probably should mention because I don't know when this episode will come out but we've got two more conventions. Uh, ahead of us. Uh, one is Anime Festival Orlando, which is at the end of the month uh, in Orlando, hence the name. Uh, we'll be there on Saturday. Gerald's got a panel on anime in uh, Western media and its mm-hmm. appearances there. And I am doing a panel that I'll also be doing uh, at Otakon and Anime Week in Atlanta, which is sort of the follow-up to my panel last year, 30 years ago, with Anime in 1985. Well, now it's 30 years ago, Anime in 1986. The uh, best year of anime ever I could defend. I could defend this. The best so year of anime ever. That's basically what I'll be doing there. And then after that is Otakon uh, in Baltimore, the last Otakon in Baltimore. And so uh, I don't know if we'll have an episode out before then. Hopefully we will. It's, we've, got, we've got a very like, narrow bit of time between uh, AFO and Otakon. So hopefully we will have something out. Otakon uh, better get our pit beef in this year, right? I guess uh, without further ado, we should uh, get on with Cabernary and of the Iron Fortress. The cabinet of Dr. Cabernary. <laughs> Cabernary. Habanero. Cabernary. Cabernary. The three caballeros. But before we get to that, let me just remind everybody that the Anime World Order podcast is brought to you by RightStuffAnime.com a great website which we use personally to make many of our anime purchases. Every week, Right Stuff has sales on specific publishers. For example, as of the time I'm recording this, the current sale right now is for everything released by Kodansha slash Delray Manga. Take, for example, something like Battle Angel Alita Last Order. The omnibus editions of that are about $20 retail price. On Amazon, they're $18. On Right Stuff, before the coupon, $15. You add the 33% off, it ends up being $12 per volume. That's $6 cheaper. And if you want to save even more, they've got a Got Anime membership program, which will automatically deduct about another 10%. It is just $12 a year for that discount. So as long as you order more than four things a year from Right Stuff, that will pay for itself. And we have been given a couple of promotional codes that you can redeem for God Anime memberships. So we'll try and give some of those away between now and the end of the year. How we'll do that? Stay tuned. <laughs>
when I start these sorts of reviews, I try to come up with some sort of generality about anime and bring it back to the show I'm talking about. However, that's a little bit difficult with this sort of show. Oftentimes, anime takes inspiration from other sources, be it manga, movies, you know, American movies or Japanese movies or TV series or books, or increasingly other anime. However, this show... Cabaneri of the Iron Fortress is one that sort of defies explanation. Before I get too far into it, let me first say that as the show itself, Cabaneri is not incredibly unusual. It's a pretty straightforward narrative. What makes the show sort of strange and unusual is sort of everything surrounding it. First off, Cabaneri of the Iron Fortress is about a world where humans have holed themselves up in giant fortress-like cities to protect themselves from the hordes from the outside. If these hordes were to get in, they would devour the populace and cause untold death and destruction. Never heard of this idea. It's sort of like a combination of Attack on Titan and World War Z. I was going to say Attack on Snowpiercer. Oh, that too. Attack on Train. Train. Yes. Yeah, this show seems rally. a whole lot, whole lot like Attack on Titan. What makes it even more strange is that it was even directed by Tetsuo Araki and done with the same studio as Attack on Titan, right after they did Attack on Titan. That is Studio Wit is yeah, a studio. Yeah, like basically, in my mind, it's one of those things where Attack on Titan came out a couple of years ago. Huge, mega hit, crossover, big deal. The everyone, biggest hit that we've had recently, I would say. Everyone Besides, starts going yeah. crazy. It's like... When is second season of Attack on Titan? For a long time, we hear nothing. As it turns out, season two Attack on Titan has been announced, finally. But it's still a ways off. Which, like, well, what do we do in the meantime? Because a bunch of people went crazy for Attack on Titan. They're like, what do we do? We read the manga for Attack on Titan. So that's exactly what they did. It became like this big bestseller. And as it turns out, as the Attack on Titan manga goes on, people become more and more disinterested in Attack on Titan, where the story ends up going. And so Hmm. it is like... We got to get our own Attack on Titan. Well, what do we do? All right. But here th- then we go. they literally basically did their own Attack on Titan. Like, not, not just their own hit, their own Attack on Titan. Get me his non union Mexican equivalent. Senior <laughs> yes. Senior. <laughs> so let me get a little bit more detailed here. A couple of sentences didn't really do the show justice. This show is set sometime after the start of the Industrial Revolution on the island of Hinomoto. And the population has been afflicted with this pretty bad ailment that turns them into things called kabane. Think of these as like fast-moving zombies that are extremely hard to kill. Ailment causes the hearts of the kabane, of these people, to be covered quickly in a layer of iron, making them very, very difficult targets. And if you're bitten by one, you're either ripped apart and die, or you become a kabane in seconds. Very much like zombies in that case. And, you know, when you're bitten, you either have two choices. Either you commit suicide, they actually have these sort of cups that you hold against your chest, and when you press the button on this cup, it sort of blows your chest out and destroys your heart. Yeah, it's like an explosive pack. Right, exactly. Or you can just be shot and killed. That's your only two options. The affliction is so dangerous that society has walled themselves from the outside world in these fortresses called stations, and they're connected to each other through these railways, these gigantic iron steam trains. Of course, this uh, wouldn't be an interesting concept if something horrible didn't happen right away (laughs) with this. And of course, this comes in the form of one of the steam trains being taken over by the Kabane and crashing into the station, destroying part of the city, and the Kabane running rampant and devouring basically everyone they come in contact with. This is where we meet the protagonist of the show, which is number one 80s anime hero protagonist, and his name is Ikoma, who is an inventor. Again, very, very 80s sort of thing to be an inventor. And he has developed a steam-powered spike punch 
of some sort, sort of like a spike gun that is able to pierce the hearts of the Kabane. This is uh, one of the only things that he has found that is reliably effective. Unfortunately, in the process, he is bitten by one of these Kabanes, but through some uh, very fast action and some autoerotic asphyxiation, <laughs> he's able to, <laughs> to stop the flow of the virus. Autoerotic asphyxiation that does the opposite of kill you. Yes. <laughs> and this makes him a half-human, half-Kabane hybrid, which is dubbed the Kabaneri. Hence the name Cabaneri of the Iron Fortress. So it's at this time that a delegation of very important people arrive in the city who are also fighting their way through. And this is where we get sort of the core characters of the show. Ayame, who looks a lot and dresses a lot like Sakura Shinguji from Sakura Wars. Right. That was like the distance. first thing I said. I was like, it's the chick from Sakura Wars. Yes, it looks so <laughs> much like her, dresses exactly like her in, in the pink and everything. It's even like the steampunk historical... <laughs> Exactly, yeah. yes. Right. Very Did the much author so. like knock up a cosplayer and have to marry her? No, no I guess not. <laughs> similarities nope. in there. <laughs> and IMA has her overprotective bodyguard, Kurusu, uh, which I guess I thought that would just be Chris, but it's Kurusu. And a mysterious girl named Mume, who Best has some girl. very. Yes, who has some very Ichi the Killer approved footwear, consisting of sandals that have got some blades in them. So this is something that Cabaneri definitely has got going for it. The show itself is very brief. It's only 12 episodes. This was actually a Noitamina show and has just enough characters to carry its way through and add some variety. For example, uh, Ikoma has a uh, fat sort of plucky sidekick friend named Takumi. The main train itself is driven by a character named Yukina, who has got the back and shoulder blades that can stop the internet. And, yes. um, <laughs> Yeah, basically, there was an animated uh, <laughs> clip of the scene where she's like pulling the handbrake, and uh, everyone was like resharing this like to hell and back just because the uh, the detail in her back and and arm muscles and shoulder muscles was not something we've seen a lot of, I guess. <laughs> and there is a great variety. In fact, there's a character in this named Suzuki. With a name like Suzuki, you would expect him to be, you know, a straight whatever Japanese guy. But actually, he sounds kind of like this. Yeah, very Jack King circa uh, Shin Getarobo versus Neo Getarobo, or, you know, that yes. one foreign judge. Fabulous Gaijin. Right. He's, he's great, and the person who plays him is credited as Max Powers. Yeah, an so. actual Gaijin. <laughs> Yes. Not yeah, just a Japanese person trying not, to sound like Gaijin. Definitely not yeah. a made-up name. Definitely <laughs> not Homer Simpson. So, yes. <laughs> and the primary antagonist of the series, I haven't gone into too much detail here, you know, is still extremely interesting. Although the antagonist may have a case of Rao from Fist of the North Star in that his ultimate goal it may not be a bad thing, but his means to his end is very hard to justify. Right. Like, I get you, bro, but you don't need to kill everybody in the mm -hmm. process. <laughs> now, Cabinary is an extremely interesting show. It is possibly the most 80s style show that I've seen in both look and tone in a very long time, possibly since the 80s. And part of that look comes because the character designs for this were done by the one and only Haruhiko Mikimoto. <laughs> I was about to say, like... Do you think with, if it was a different character designer that it would still look 80s? Like, is it just the Mikimoto factor? 
And it's or, not even that Mikimoto's art style in this is that 80s art that he was doing because Gerald's a big fan of Mikimoto over the years and has like collected mm-hmm. his more mm-hmm. recent works. And his art style has changed quite a bit since the 1980s. Like when I think of that Mikimoto artwork, everyone's thinking like those Macross watercolors. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't really do stuff that looks quite like that anymore. But it's, it's you can there, still but see it's, a little it evolved. bit of it. Yes, and uh, right, like in the eyes is the big right. thing. I think, and and I say in tone as well because there's a lot of these little little bits and pieces that feel very 1980s. Like I said, with the inventor character and his mm. plucky sidekick, things like that that we haven't seen for a while. And yeah, Mickey Moto, if uh, yeah, Macross. Do you remember Love and Orgas? He, he, I think he recently did Titania. And so, listen to me when I say this: when I say that Cabernary of the Iron Fortress, maybe visually the most well-done and well-realized interpretation of his designs that I've ever seen animated. This is on the level of Do You Remember Love? Like how beautiful the character art in this looks. The show absolutely looks gorgeous from the very first frame to the last frame. And maybe some of this comes from the show's short length. Only If you're only 12 episodes, uh, maybe you can you know, devote more of your resources to this. And some of it might be because of that it was directed by... One of the biggest powerhouses in anime right now. That is Tetsuo Araki. Tetsuo Araki. And while you may not know his name now, he is possibly one of the most, you know, powerful directors in anime. He started with shows like uh, he. One of his some of his big shows are just just a couple of them are Death Note, High School of the Dead, Guilty Crown, and of course Attack on Titan. Those are some of the most popular anime in the world now. So it seems like he's one of the few people who could get something like this made. And we are definitely much better for it. You can even command such people like the opening to the show is done by, I don't know if it's a single person or if it's a group of people, but it's a person named Supercell. They did an original opening song for this, and you might know Supercell as uh, they got well known for doing a lot of Hatsune Miku work. In I think fact, it's just a did, guy. Is it just a guy? It's Ryo? Because I've seen yeah. Ryo and Supercell credited. He did the most popular Hatsune Miku songs, The World is Mine. He also did Black Rock Shooter. Mm -hmm. So Tetsuo Araki is kind of getting like the very best people he can find for this. And one of the things that he does very well is, of course, action. That's one of the reasons why some of his work is so popular, which is, of course, one of the main reasons why people watch anime. And at the heart of Kabaneri, it's definitely a show about action and fighting, whether it's about cutting people's heads off or blowing holes in Kabaneri or chases from giant cabinary it's all done super well it seems like just tons and tons of money went into this production anyone who looks at the show will not unjustifiably think that this is some sort of attack on titan clone in fact so much of an issue was made of this that ann even did a write-up all about this i haven't read the write-up because i don't want to be influenced by it when i am doing these reviews but there is absolutely no doubt that this show would not exist if attack on titan didn't exist there's just too many similarities, especially since, you know, it's the same studio, same director, same composer. But it definitely seems to me Araki basically said, look, I want to make Attack on Titan, but I want to make a Japanese version of it. I want to make something that has got a Japanese aesthetic. Right. They're similar concepts, but they feel totally different. That's it. Attack on Titan has a much more European aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And this one is undoubtedly Japanese. Maybe he saw the live action Attack on Titan movies and was like, yes, this is the way to go for making (laughs) our animated series that the secret to the popularity is to instead of being in a westernized environment, we'll put it 
in a Japanese sort of inspired environment and will be way more popular. And so in this case, it's not like a Bacchino Durara situation where they just keep making more Durara and we just want more Bacchino. This it seems to have worked out. Um, mm-hmm. But we are actually getting both since it's, I'm pretty sure now that Cabinari has ended, all these people are now breaking their backs, getting that season yeah. two of Attack on Titan finally. Yeah. Well, I think there's also something to be said for the fact that Attack on Titan has such a militaristic bend. There's a little bit of that in Cabinari, but not nearly as much. Yeah, that's kind of what I want to get across is that if you just sort of look at maybe a trailer for this, or if you just kind of get that very superficial explanation that I gave you at the very beginning of this, you would think that this is just, you know, a ripoff of Attack on Titan. Right. It is I mean, heavily influenced by Attack on Titan, but it really is its own thing. Yeah, I mean, the the visual styles, the animation, like the way, like, you know, some of the uh, pans and zooms are, the music is the same Attack on Titan guy, the director is the yes. same Attack on Titan guy, et cetera, et cetera, down the list of, like, what else right. does this person do? Oh, Attack on Titan. Uh, you know, right. what else were these people making? Oh, Attack on Titan. And so that's what is the last thing they made. Attack on Titan. Right. right. Yeah. So so I totally understand that people are seeing it that way. And it's not unjustified. It is completely justified to look at this and think that. But you should give the show a chance because it goes off in its own direction and becomes its own thing. The show is also extremely emotionally satisfying. While I do believe there could be, you know, a little bit more done with maybe the main character. He's definitely someone who goes through an arc and comes out a different person on the other end. And it's not a show that leaves you constantly frustrated. And part of that is it's aided by its short length. This is done before even an arc or two in Attack on Titan is finished. However, it doesn't feel rushed. It doesn't pack itself with too much stuff. What Attack on Titan did very well was that every, you know, couple of episodes, it switched things up quite a bit, added a new twist to things. This doesn't need to do that because it's so short. There's not a ton of stuff in it. It just packs enough to keep 12 episodes interesting. I have heard some complaints about the latter half of the show. If I had to, you know, narrow it down, it would be kind of the three-fifths point or or so of the show. Not unjustifiably so. The show slows down a little bit and concentrates a bit more on the villain. Shows some more of him, shows some more of like the motivation behind what's going on. But this is not enough of a bump in the road to make me not highly recommend the show. Nor is it something that stood out as to be done particularly badly or any more badly than any other anime has around that same point. And very importantly, it has a very satisfying ending. Apparently there are two movies planned for Cabernet of the Iron Fortress. Probably um, like compilation recaps with like two or three new scenes or like sequel sequels. I think they always do like the quick compilations, which to me serve no purpose other than hey, people who already watch this TV show in full and know exactly what's going on have five more minutes of new animation. They never seem to work as like, hey, someone who didn't watch the show, watch this movie instead. They never work. Right. I don't know what they are. I just saw that there were two. One is planned, yeah, later this year, and one is for early next year. If it's anything like we've seen the last bunch of times, yeah, it's probably first one is a recapper and probably second one is a new story. It's interesting, like, I actually waited for the whole show to end before I started to watch it because I was, like, kind of skeptical that it would end up good, and the reason for that was twofold. The first is that this is, unlike Attack on Titan, and unlike a lot of anime, there is no preceding source material for Cabinet. No, this is this is all original. This is, you. I'm not going to say unique, but it is relatively rare. Right, it's one of those things where it's not, not like an existing light novel or an existing manga or something like that that they were taking and using as the baseline to make this show. It's an original anime 
creation, which is great. I would like to see more of them. But the thing that gave me pause was that the person who wrote this, and I don't remember his name, I just know that he is like the Code Geass guy. He is the yes, guy who is... wrote Guilty Crown and like all these kind of like ridiculous sunrise shows that are like not particularly well interested in making a whole lot of sense or ending well or having characters who are good. They're just really mostly interested in being crazy. Like, oh, you'll, you'll never guess what's happening next because it just defies all sensibility of like <laughs> yeah, his, his Yeah, his shows are usually ones where people watch them because they just want to see how much of a shit how show it's going to be. How crazy shit can get. Like, I don't yes. think he, right. did, he did Valve... Like, like, the guy who did Code Geass did Valve Rave and Guilty Crown. Like, all these shows that are kind of the same insanity roller coaster. Yeah, this guy... The guy you're thinking of is Ichiro Okuichi. Yeah, he's his big thing is yeah, he's the original creator of Code Geass and all of that stuff. Yeah, Guilty Crown. Did some work for Space Dandy and did a lot of, like... He did a lot of work on, like, Turn A Gundam. Okay, but so yeah, he's a Valve. Sunrise guy for most of his career. Now he's... Yes. Uh, well, actually, is Wit's studio making this for something? No, I don't think so. Yeah, um, he, he wrote the Berserk movies. Um, okay, but yeah, at least, you know, that's, like, the same... Th- those movies are telling the same story as the TV show, right. which is that's that golden age arc from the manga. So at least he had a source material to work off of. But in the case of, like, the things that he wrote himself are yeah. like, okay, your Code Guess and your, you know, Valve, Valve Raves Rave, and your Guilty yes. Crowns, all of which are anime originals. And then it's like, and now he's writing this new thing, Cabinary. And I'm like, let me wait and see how this turns out. Justifiably uh, but, so, because I hate, I hate Code Geass a lot. Yeah, I mean, this guy's done, you know, some good stuff too. But yeah, when he, when he goes off on his own, he, he, it gets kind of nuts. I'm not really sure because obviously those Sunrise shows are not written by one person. They're written by two people, the whoever's credited, and also Hajime Yadate. <laughs> the, 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 the biggest kick in the pants ever. It's right. so, just I like mean, you get. Perhaps there's a, a Hajime Yadate factor to those other shows that is not present here that may be the reason why it ends up coming together a little right. better. Yeah. Well, and also like the comparison with Attack on Titan, most of those other Sunrise shows are also long. Very much so, yeah. And so there's a lot more space to fill. So there's probably a lot more propensity to like do weird shit for the sake of padding out more episodes. There isn't an episode where everyone has to get in like bunny costumes and then like start a maid cafe just to pad, you know, their 52 episodes. I think that that helps the show much more than it seems is just to get this sort of short thing and give it a point. But yeah, Cabaneri is a great show, a really great show, and it's extremely ambitious, very well done, and has got excellent production values, excellent music, and some really beautiful designs. It's one of my favorite shows of the last season. It does get the honor of being one of the first anime series that was licensed exclusively by Amazon Prime for streaming and was released episode by episode. So basically everybody pirated it. Mm-hmm. because it's, uh, not a whole lot of people have Amazon Prime memberships that watch the video streaming portion of it. There's going to be an unusual twist here in that Amazon Prime licensed the streaming, but the physical release and the dub was licensed by Crunchyroll. Crunchyroll typically in the past has only been a streaming service, but as of Anime Expo, they announced we're going to start releasing uh, Blu-rays and DVDs on home video for certain things that not necessarily things that we're streaming ourselves, and Cabinary is one of those that they're doing the Blu-ray and DVD release for. Yes. Kind of strange, isn't that? But yeah, if you have an Amazon Prime account, I highly, highly recommend you check this out. This is one of the better shows I've seen in a long time. A great show from beginning to end, great characters, awesome art. If you don't have an Amazon Prime account, 
I highly recommend checking out that Blu-ray release. I want to pick that up because this show is probably going to look beautiful. I'm skeptical that watching the streaming can make it look as good as a a really nice Blu-ray release, because this is a very dark show, something that doesn't necessarily come through very well in any sort of compressed video format. That is effectively Cabanere. If anyone has anything else to add, I'm sure that there is a lot. I didn't want to go too much into uh, some of the more detailed parts of it. Yeah, you haven't really talked too much about, like, the story and what happens and who's, like, getting killed and who's, like, a shitbag and all that kind of stuff, which is (laughs) kind of uh, what I would say is that the advantage of hearing this review now is that the nature of the way that this story plays out, like you'll kind of burn through the series fairly quickly. And I think it lends itself pretty well to watching it in like that sort of Netflix style Mm -hmm. binge view session that Amazon lends itself to. I'm not a big fan of this concept anyway, but there's this thing now where people are just reviewing anime sort of episode to episode. One good episode comes out, and it's the greatest show ever. And then a bad episode comes out, and now it's the worst show ever. And then it's a good episode, and, it, and everyone stopped the watching The kind of came full circle on and that, because we started the podcast a decade ago because we didn't like that people were doing that. And that preceded like, this era of live streaming and you know simulcasts and what have you. And that was when people were doing it kind of on a disc-by-disc basis or what have you. And we were like, this isn't helping because we want to have people know what we think after the whole show so we don't end up wasting people's time. But then... Yes. Now that streaming came along and Netflix and the way that modern uh, media criticism is that people want episode by episode reviews like week to week of like, here's what I thought of this week's episode of The Walking Dead or this week's Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul or, you know, you just go down the list of like whatever the nerd thing is that people like. And so for anime, that's become once again the norm is that sort of blogger style like here's what I thought of this specific episode and I kind of think that that's a rat race but it's where the page views are it's where the clicks are i guess well, we we've never to, been if we've we never been to one to court bank, popularity yeah if we want if we wanted to get <laughs> that that fuck money then we would go and be reviewing things and assigning star ratings to each episode by episode but i think yes. if you divorce yourself from that and just watch this show straight through i think it actually serves it a little bit better now one yes. thing that obviously a lot of the attack on titan fans are going to be asking about first and foremost when they think about Kaminari is how would you say that this storyline wraps up at the end is it like Attack on Titan where it's like oh where's the second season is it ends on like a cliffhanger does it end like a big ambiguous note like what would you say without spoiling anything you know the, given that people know it, it, it ends pretty clearly yeah the, it, the, it ends pretty clearly the, the story that it was trying to tell comes to an end they could do more yes but nothing is really like left super open or unresolved yeah there's no scene of like a guy holding a gun to another guy and he pulls a trigger and it goes to black right there's and, no like three robots showing up from the coastline and then you know the big o fires and then it's just to be continued when Jackie right. has not written anything <laughs> beyond that point. Right. No, yeah, no guy walking to his apartment door, opening the door, fade to black. Nothing like that. So <laughs> still so salty about Mr. Robot. Uh, it's starting up again. I, I thought it was a good ending. But, uh, yeah. I thought they're making um, more of Mr. Robot. They are. It's they are. It's just started. Don't yeah, already got uh, Mr. Robot. That is, I guess, kind of what helps it is that Attack on Titan is great. 
But yeah, when you're watching that show and it's like we did, and you get to that last episode that has, you know, one hell of a cliffhanger at the end of it. And then you're like, oh, nothing for three years, two years, something like that. Right. That is going to be a very interesting test when they start up to attack on Titan again. If that interest they, it's, is it's going to be. It's the berserk conundrum, right? Because it's like, okay, all the people who flock to that manga to read what happens next, it's like, okay, well, where's your stopping point? And in the way like how berserk, you know, everyone was like, got to make more anime after the Golden Age arc. And then a question in everyone's mind is, okay, so here's what happens next. Where's your stopping point? There's been like some fan complaints, and I'm not one of them, who's like, the new Berserk series skipped a fuck ton to get to where they are. And maybe that may need to be done for Attack on Titan. Maybe there's only so many episodes you spend on here's what was happening. Meanwhile, while this was going on, these other people were doing this. And then Mm -hmm. a big, long stretch of just stuff not that interesting compared to what the rest of the premise was. (laughs) That's kind of where they are right now. And and even Attack on Titan had episodes where everybody complains like this was just drawn out too long. The thing is, is like... When you actually have to continue a story, like, you know, in the case of Cabinary, you kind of have a scenario where you can just sort of have like a brand new arc, as it were, if you want to keep this thing going. But in the case of these things with large source materials, such as your Berserks and your Attacks on Titan, then you have to figure out, all right, well, we are sort of bound to this material, but we have to also end our show in an okay way. And that was sort of why like, it took decades for a new series of Berserk to come out. And even when they made the movies, it's like we're telling the exact same story as the TV show. And everyone's like, oh, my God, why? And it's like, well, look at the source material. But now that Guts has finally gotten off the fucking boat, you know, oh I would God. like to see what I would like to see in this new Berserk TV show is the midpoint of an episode guts gets on the boat and the end of the episode he gets off the boat the same episode Mm -hmm. and everyone's like okay that didn't take long and then like you know as a a wink and a joke but then you have nothing to write because i don't think you know he's written anything since then because idol master came out and uh, or it's about to come out and therefore that means no more berserk uh, ever right we don't have that same problem with cabinary (laughs) there's not this pre-existing material that anyone has any expectations for Right. I mean, so. in the case of Code Geass, it's also a thing that no pre-existing stuff. They were just like, well, let's just go for it. But uh. um, I think by virtue of this being more compact, right. <laughs> by being only 12 episodes long, that you don't necessarily have to be like, well, we have an idea that'll last us this many episodes, but we got to get through however many. So, all right, well, it's time to go to Pizza Hut. To give you an idea, that part of the show that a lot of people complain about that part of the show is maybe two episodes, maybe three episodes out of a 12-episode show. If this were decompressed to, say, 26 or even 52 episodes... Now you're talking 13 episodes. You're talking, you're, yeah, you're talking a season if, right. if we follow the same storyline. And <laughs> that would just be a killer. People would just be saying, like, oh, my God, start at episode 30 and just skip all the way to, like, 42. But for this, it's two episodes. And again, when you can watch it together, it doesn't feel as bad. It flows far better with the show. Um, so, um, unless Clarissa has something to add. No, I don't think so. I mean, without getting into spoiler town, that's pretty much it. You like the show? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where <laughs> I was fascinated that everyone seemed to be watching it. Nobody really seemed to be talking about it a whole lot. It seemed to be a thing that people were just aware of. And I really think the biggest impediment to this one was that it was on Amazon Prime. And yeah, that there is a there's a hundred dollar. 
was just, yeah, you had to pay your $100 membership for a year, and then you could yes. watch the show because anyone who shared your account couldn't watch the video portion of it. I think most, I have no real way to prove this, but I feel like three quarters, if not more, of the people who even saw the show pirated it. That's just the way it's going to be, more so for this one, just by virtue of the service it's on. I think a lot of shows that aren't on Crunchyroll specifically have this issue. If something is a Funimation exclusive, I think the same thing happens. I think if something is an Anime Network exclusive, the same thing happens. I think if you're not on Crunchyroll in your live stream, you're going to have a hard time. Yeah, because even Hulu, like, you know, people are a little hesitant, but by and large, a lot of things are either on one or the other, but even the Hulu simulcast, a lot of times you have to have the paid Hulu membership, and how many people uh, pay Hulu. for a Hulu membership? And so much of it also comes down to if the site is easy to use. Like, I think Crunchyroll has got it figured out. Yeah, right, and that's, like, the thing with Hulu is, like, you know, I usually watch stuff, I'll watch stuff sometimes through the browser, but... I usually prefer to use apps like on my PS3 or something. Mm -hmm. And it's like Hulu, you can't use the apps unless you have a paid account. Right. right. Whereas Crunchyroll, it's like, like Funimation is the same thing. Yeah. Like even though they have things, maybe if they've been up for a little while, you can watch them without the account. I don't think you can do it through the app. Right. And hmm. I think like the amount of money people are willing to spend on their streaming services is finite. I think most people have a Netflix yeah. subscription if they have anything. And then if they have mm -hmm. one other thing, they have Crunchyroll because they're like, well, this also gets me the manga yep. simulcasts as well as the yep. live action drama simulcasts. And so right. there's, there's no reason why you would if you're an anime fan, you're going to spend the, the least amount to get the most stuff. Right. And so the then tack on an anime network subscription or a Funimation channel subscription or, you know, right. for like one or two shows, maybe. Correct. Right. Like no. People are hesitant to do that. And for Amazon Prime in this case, they've been trying to get Amazon Prime as a general video streaming service off the ground by like making some Amazon Prime original things and getting they the just need to make a separate video subscription. And, I think they're yeah. just starting that. I they're just yeah. looking into it. But it's it's one of those things where I think that's kind of the main impediment to Cabinary. I mean, even though, yeah, it's going to come out on Blu-ray and DVD from Crunchyroll as I just demonstrated at my con panel that even if it's on blu-ray even if it's on dvd that's only for the people who already watched it and decided yeah i want to keep the show it's not going to be for people who it's like i haven't seen cabinet i want to find out what it's about i'm going to buy the blu-ray or dvd that doesn't happen anymore that doesn't exist even though it's true that i think the dubs will come out on a home video and i don't think that they will have a stream for the dub but it could be weird. It could be that you want the Japanese, you go to Amazon Prime, you want the dub, you go to Crunchyroll. I have no idea what's going to happen. Well, there that. was that time where I th wasn't Attack on Titan streamed on like three different sites. Attack on Titan so. streamed like everywhere. I mean, it's yeah, easy like, to it, get, but I don't think there was like this major divide in what sites had what version other than the fact that the dub came out later. Yeah, that's, but that's what I mean is that, you know, there maybe are weird situations like that, so... We will see what happens with Cabinary, because I want more people to see this show. I think it is a good show, and it doesn't necessarily deserve the moniker of it's just an Attack on Titan ripoff. Right. There's also Snowpiercer. No, I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> I guess if that is uh, all we have to say about... about uh, I was going to say you about Attack, Attack on Titan. On Titan. See? I almost <laughs> said Attack on Titan. The, I almost said like, almost. We can't say it's just Attack on Titan, but nope, nope. Attack on Train. <laughs> Attack on Mikimoto Designs post-marionette nope. generation. Yeah, it's beautiful designs. Holy crap. And they have never looked better. I'm so glad. I would love to interview Tetsuro Araki, you know, ask him about how this show came about because it just has so many 
bits and pieces of like older anime and older like styles of anime thrown in. What I it. like about that guy is that he's only a few years older than we are. He's like, in terms of anime director ages, he's like very young. By he's like 38, 39, 40 or something. And he yeah, is, like, yeah, by, the, by anime director maybe. ages, that's like a baby. Right. Yeah. That and never so happens. Would, you seem like you have to be 60 before you're allowed to like direct anything. Yeah, remember when he was doing Death Note, Death Note came out like a decade ago. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me so, to wrap my mind around oh that. Oh, God. I know. It's like when I realize how long it's, how old, like, Gundam Wing and stuff is that I used to watch on Toonami. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. 20 year anniversary Gundam Wing. It's rough. What I would like to know or be interested to see is how many people, and I know the answer to this already, but how many people, maybe they look at Kabaneri, they say, this is cool, and then they go back and try to find other Mikimoto stuff, and they realize, I can't watch any of this shit. Thanks, Harmony Gold. Yeah, <laughs> thank you very much. Although you can buy all of Orgus if you wanted to. I know Orgus is no is no Macross. Well, Paul so. Chapman actually prefers Orgus no, to Macross, sadly. but he's uh, crazy. Or- no, Orgus, Orgus is a, isn't bad. It's not bad. Orgus is a great show, but it is not. not it's not Macross. It right. just isn't. So <laughs> I wanted to like Orgus because I I like those sweet sweet Mikimoto designs, but I just couldn't really get into it. But you didn't like it because of how they sat on the motorcycles. Well, it's true that did bother me. Like, you, well, we watched two episodes, and you said you don't like how they sat on the motorcycles. <laughs> I hate everything that uses that stupid seating positioning. It's dumb. What about the Shinji Aramaki gate porn motorcycle style of sitting? <laughs> Which one is that? Uh, that was, whichever was the one that Shinji Aramaki did the motorcycle design for, like... They, like uh, oh, I know yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they didn't, like, sit on them in a weird position. <laughs> yeah, with the leaning forward. I'm just, right. I'm just saying there might have been more to the show, but maybe, maybe then. But all anyone remembers <laughs> from Orgus is the bad American dubbing cornpone flicks of like the, <laughs> right. the five-year-old girl with her arms outstretched saying, "Are you ready to <laughs> take me?" And yeah. there, there are five people left who know that joke. So <laughs> that's, that's and the, the amount of people who, who know what Orgus is. And yes, and there there are three people on this podcast, so there is you know two more people out there. And the fourth one is Justin Savakis, <laughs> and the fifth is Paul Chapman. Yes, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's it's a shame because uh, well, I guess they could watch Titania. I think that was released, but that's a no, pretty sloggy. No, friends watch Titania. No, it's oh. a really it's a slog. <laughs> like I was really hoping because I mean that's Haruhiko Mikimoto and Nobu Ishiguro. That is Macross. And Yoshiki Tanaka. You know, I know. one more time, but. How did it fail? It is the driest of the dry. One of the driest <laughs> anime you'll ever watch. And I have seen over 100 episodes of Legend of the Galactic Heroes, and which is as dry as it world, comes. Because uh, Sensei Filmworks is supposedly going to release those things. I know they're working on it actively. They did not say anything more than, we are releasing the show. They didn't say how much of the show they're releasing. They haven't said, like, any details. So I'm, at least not not to my knowledge, I'm curious. It'll be interesting because if... supposedly there's going to be a new Legend of Galactic Heroes next year, right? Because that's, that's what IG is working on. That's what I've heard. So this is a... Uh, an... Is it like a, a new story or a remake or... I don't think they actually went into details on exactly what it's going to be be about but i just know like they said it's probably just going to be another adaptation of the same source material because i don't know how much more there is that hasn't been done uh in anime right yeah i don't really know how much novel material never got animated yeah i think they're Uh, just they're probably going to redo it just because i mean that's one of those things where 
I think that announcement came like, cause I mean, come on, they're doing like those shitty stage plays of Legend of Galactic Heroes at this point. So they were like, yes, we're going to make a, a new LGH. But yeah, the original one is coming out on Blu-ray DVD or maybe just DVD. I can't remember. So then, oh, I can't. I can't wait for all the people to say, to watch "What that are they doing instead. sitting? What are they doing sitting and talking? Sitting, sitting and talking? This, what, like, this person this was. Happening? They came out and they were talking about this. Now they're here instead." And this, the, the, he's kept his uniform on, even though he's just the worst. It's like, lay off the weed, YouTube. Uh, anyway, unless you're watching Cabinary, because you may need to slow down time to perceive some of these sick cuts. Oh, man. So, some of the cuts in the show, action scenes in the show, are so well done. I really have very little bad to say about Cabinary. I am very glad that it was made. All right. So, so you know what this means now. We've been holding off for like five months. We had little bad to say about this one. And we have been talking about, you know, Mr. Yadate. At what point do we commit to the uh, Gundam 00 reviewing, as the case may be? Well, I think we have a committed next episode. Okay. So maybe so the episode after So maybe after not the next that. episode. Maybe the episode after that. Maybe, maybe after... Otakon, or before AWA, who knows? We should just do a group binge The entirety watch. of Otakon will just be spent watching yes. Gundam right. in a hotel room. Gundam Lowe, like, <laughs> watching, just burning through it. That is, that, is how, that is how you know you're the real anime fan, is, is when at the con, you're just watching anime in the hotel room. Not even in the, in the viewing room. Just the no, hotel. in the hallway, like you have in a setup. <laughs> yes. Oh, God, that second season, Surprise Twin Let's Brother. Let's go. Let's get full scale soap opera mode. Right. Does he have a mustache? No. So, no, he has an eye patch. Yeah. <laughs> oh shit, he does. So, oh yeah. You oh, you haven't seen the show. Shit. No, I haven't. I haven't <laughs> ruining the secrets. Oh no. Uh, uh, well, you're, you're ruining the secrets for everybody who's listening. Everyone so. else knows. With nothing else, uh, do you want to commit to what we are doing next episode? Sure. Well, unless we want to do one of those like quick things. Or do we want to just go ahead and we may we do may do a quick review? thing in between the next review and now, just depending on what our schedule looks like. Yeah, our but, next proper um, review will. But the okay. next proper review, we're going to be talking about Erased. All right, which is about so, a manga author, right? Yes, that's exactly yes. what it is. No, it's <laughs> actually about Arnold Schwarzenegger and a railgun. Yes. Oh God. <laughs> that is it for this episode of uh, Anime World Order, episode one hundred and forty-eight. Thank you all so much for checking this out. Our website is www.animeworldorder.com. Email us at animeworldorder at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, our Twitter account, at animeworldorder, all one word. That is largely there to uh, just post updates on the show, and we all have our own Twitter accounts. You can check that out at uh, the Anime World Order website. I guess uh, without further ado, that is uh, this episode. Yeah.